we can connect you with people on the ground who are already doing it and give you a head start. And so I'm uh, working now as the coordinator for the Global Che Network. What I'd like to do is kind of give you an overview of Che. We'll start with the question, why? Why do we need an integrated ministry like this? There are over one billion people in our world today who do not have access to safe, clean drinking water. And uh, just a caveat here, these statistics are maybe a year and a half old, so I probably need to re-up on them. Didn't have time to do that before I got up here. But in, in terms of magnitude, it's close, right? A billion people who do not have access to safe, clean drinking water. Ten million children die each year before the age of five, most of them from preventable diseases. Things that we can do something about. I was really impressed with what Gil Odendahl said to us this morning about the prevalence of the church and the opportunity that is ours to respond to these kinds of things. These diseases are waterborne diseases, and simple things like clean water and sanitation and hygiene can be taught by the church in communities around the world, and we can prevent these child deaths. Why something like this? Whole communities are trapped in cycles of poverty and disease. And, you know, the, the issue is, is not just um, a lack of knowledge about hygiene and sanitation and water, and uh, it, it's not just health education. What holds and traps these communities in cycles of poverty and disease is often worldview. Just take one example. If you believe that what you are living out now is karma from a previous life, how do you change that? Where is development in that? Where is progress? Until we understand that we have been made in the image of God as stewards of resources, that he has given us dominion, and that what we have here is ours to use in order to improve the quality of life for ourselves and for others around us. Without that Christian foundation, development is impossible in many situations. And so the church has the whole answer to the question of how we escape cycles of poverty and disease. Almost two-thirds of the world's population is walking in spiritual darkness without the light of Christ. As Christ's disciples were called to love and action. And that's what community health evangelism is. It's a mission strategy aimed at meeting the whole need of individuals and communities. Che is a strategy that integrates evangelism and discipleship with community health and development. I want to tell you what it looks like when it's mature. And uh, so I'm going to start kind of um, out in the homes and back up so you can see um, how we get there. But when a CHE program is mature, there will be health workers from the village visiting in their neighbors' homes. Each of them a volunteer, each of them trained, one lesson at a time, implementing what they're learning in their own home, and then sharing it with their neighbors. 
They go into homes and they teach about the importance of clean water. They help the families sanitize the drinking water. And then they open the scriptures and they share the living water. And when people come to Christ, these health workers gather them in small groups and they disciple them. And those small groups then can be brought together to form a new church or to build an existing church. These health workers report to another group of volunteers who have been trained in project management. This group is called the Development Committee or the CHE Committee. But what they're doing is planning projects. It might be piping water into homes or digging a well or protecting a spring. It might be something like roads or electrification or schools. Um, uh, it, it could be anything that is prioritized by the community. But in the process of managing the project, they are involved from beginning to end in needs assessment, prioritization, uh, resource acquisition, planning, implementation, um, diffusion and multiplication and evaluation. They are managing the whole process themselves. And so how did this whole uh, volunteer organization in the village get there? Well, somebody from a nearby church or a mission organization or a NGO, a Christian a faith-based organization in the area, uh, trained workers to go into the village, raise awareness, uh, help people to see what resources are available to them, help them analyze and break down their problems and understand why they have some of the problems they have. Through participatory processes, invite them to choose what are the priorities that you want to work on, and then train and build capacity for the community to accomplish their own vision. These people that come in from the outside, we call trainers. They're really the Christian missionaries. And so where would you fit in all of that? Well, I, what, what I would say to you is, my vision for you is that you'd ask God to allow you to transform a country. You would go trained as a trainer of trainers. And you would cast vision with different churches and different organizations. They would choose trainers who are going to do the work in the village, and you would train them as trainers to go into the village. And in, 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 this is really how the structure works around the world. We have some very large programs that have gone to scale, starting very small uh, without increasing the budget, uh, we have one in the, uh, in the Congo uh, that's now 504 villages. In Ethiopia, it's more than 350 villages. I think that's happened in about five years. In Uganda, it's four to 500 villages. When Gil talked this morning about the program in Rwanda, um, they, they are on a tra trajectory to be in 6,000 villages uh, by, by October of next year. The ministry is holistic, and for me this is important. Um, the ministry is about obeying everything that Jesus commanded. 
When I was a church planter, I was running around the outside of the community yelling about the forgiveness of sins. And people would hear me and they'd come and join me. And then they were hated by the community just like I was. And the church that I established was on the fringe, on the perimeter of society, not the agent of transformation that God intended it to be. What does God intend for the church? He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He intends that the church be the agent of transformation. And until we can put word and deed together, we don't take that place in the center of community. I have seen churches now uh, that I, I would, the churches I planted, you could take them out of the community and nobody would know they were there, they were, they were missing. But, but I have seen churches that I would dare you to take out of the community. I went to a church in, in a little place called La Verde in Guatemala. There were 30 families that were believers. There were 150 families in the village. 150 families gave money and donated their time to build the church building. And 150 families were there for the dedication, even though they weren't believers. A man named Raul uh, said to our training team in La Verde at one point, um, I am never going to be a member of that church, but my children will be. On the day that the church was dedicated, he said to the training team, someday I'm going to be the pastor of this church. And today he is. Uh, but, but, you know, something very unusual is happening when 120 unbelieving families contribute money and time to building a church they'll never be a part of, or they think they'll never be a part of. But when we separate evangelism from social action because of our worldview and our uh, evangelical background, we, use, we, 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 we bring the truth of Jesus, but not his touch. And the question in my mind is, are we bringing Jesus? And so Che is a strategy designed to bring the truth and the touch of Jesus to poor communities around the world, to see them lifted out of cycles of poverty and disease and coming to faith in Christ. The purpose of community health evangelism is not just breaking poverty or planting churches, though both of those things are accomplished through Che. The purpose of Che is a transformation in lives and communities that is as deep as the human heart and as broad as the whole range of the human experience in the world God made. Jesus is recognized as Lord over all creation, and our development activities reflect the depth and breadth of the kingdom of God. And I'm not here to tell you that by our development activities, we're going to bring in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will come with Jesus in its fullness. But the kingdom of God is here, now, in you and in me. And our ministries should reflect the values of the kingdom. Even if we're persecuted, and even if we don't change or transform the communities or the cultures around us, our efforts should reflect the values of the kingdom. 
what God wants for people. God is at work in and through us to transform beliefs and change behavior so that his peace, justice, compassion, and righteousness are reflected in the life of the communities we serve. Transformation is from the inside out. And as people come to Christ, they begin to interact in different ways with their families, and they interact in different ways with community. Daryl Miller has said something that sticks with me. I want to share it with you. He said in his book, Discipling Nations, when the church fails to disciple the nation, the nation disciples the church. And the result of that is we have churches across America filled with people with secular worldviews who have prayed to receive Christ as their Savior. And so what God wants for us is not a private faith that puts us in a closet, but he wants us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, transforming those structures and impacting the culture in which we live, planting, uprooting the lies that have been planted in culture and replacing them with his truth. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories and then uh, we'll go from there to show how uh, Che works itself out, what some of the outcomes are that we're looking for, and some of the steps in the process. But before we do that, I just kind of want you to see um, what, what can happen in different places. I want to take you to Papua New Guinea first. When I went to Papua New Guinea for the first time in 2001, I sat with the uh, Ministry of Health, and the, the director of the Healthy Islands Initiative, which was their community health initiative for the next 10 years and a priority for the whole ministry, said to me, um, the World Health Organization defines health as social, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. The only problem is they don't know how to define spiritual. As far as I'm concerned, spiritual is Christian. There's only one institution, he said, in this country with the capacity to mobilize enough people to do what we as a ministry of health need to do in the area of community health. Do you want to guess what that institution was? The church. He said to me, I need someone to mobilize the church. And I replied, in essence, I can mobilize the church, but I can't silence it. And he repeated, as far as I'm concerned, uh, spiritual is Christian. And so he gave us permission to handpick um, health workers and health officers from the districts and provinces across the country and train them to work together with churches to do full-blown community health evangelism programs in their country. Within a year, we were in 150 villages. And what I'm going to show you here is some of what I saw when I came back. I saw villages like this. Now, if you've been to Papua New Guinea, you know, aesthetics is not what you see in a village normally. Um, something unusual was happening. But I went from village to village, and I saw uh, flower-strewn pathways and 
cleaned up houses and things like that. And, and I asked the training team, I said, how is it that these people can live for centuries without any sense of aesthetics and all of a sudden this? And they said, they have recovered their identity as made in the image of God, and this is their Garden of Eden. Um, and the training team came to me and said, we got a problem. I said, what is it? They said, villages all over the mountains here in the eastern highlands are imitating what's happening in these villages. Should we stop them? I went into uh, uh, the Lufa district in the Eastern Highlands, and the district health officer there told me that they had been trying for 30 years to get people in that district to use latrines. I asked him what percentage of the population was using latrines, and he said 3%. And then he added, and they're all dedicated Christians. I said, why? He says, because traditional belief here says that evil spirits inhabit human waste and they hide in dark corners. So if you build a latrine, you're building a spirit house that nobody wants to go into. In all of my years in Bible college and seminary training to be a missionary, nobody ever told me that an indicator of spiritual growth would be a latrine. You know, it was they're going to read their Bible, they're going to pray, they're going to give their offerings in the church. Um, But Latrine, that wasn't on the radar. But when, when I saw this, I knew that what was happening was not just a physical change. It was a spiritual transformation. They had overcome the fear of evil spirits and they were free to go into these latrines. And we see this kind of thing happening in other places, too. In, in northern Thailand, there was a village. The government wanted to pipe water into every home. And the elders of the village said, no, if you put pipes in the ground, you'll anger the ancestral spirits and we'll all get sick. Nobody ever told me that pipes in the ground would be an indicator of spiritual growth. But it is. In the same district, in another place called Hanganofi, they took me to see villages that had previously been warring. In this district, the elementary school had been closed for 16 years. No child had been educated because of the tribal warfare that was going on. There were 26 or 27 different tribes in this valley that were warring with each other. And when our team first approached this district, the road was blockaded to keep the government troops from interfering in their fighting. When I came a year later, I went to those villages one after another, and this is what I saw. This is a footpath between two villages that had previously been warring. Not only did they widen their footpath, but they went down to the bottom of the mountain and picked up rocks and hauled them uphill and built a retaining wall and then decorated it. And the fence that you see there is to keep pigs in the right place, which is, which is a good thing. But nobody in all of my Bible college and seminary education ever told me 
that a footpath would be an indicator of spiritual growth. But what was happening here in this place was truly a spiritual revival. I was invited into the um, to an open field where these different tribes gathered together, and two uh, tribal chiefs made a presentation to Dr. Bill Bieber and me. Uh, the one um, with the grass the grass skirt there presented to me. He took the bow and the arrows in his hand. And he took one arrow and said, this is the kind of arrow that we use to kill pigs. He put it back. He took another one out. He said, this is the kind of arrow that we use to kill each other. He put it back in his hand and he handed the bow and the arrows to me. He said, I want to give this to you because you've come here and you've taught us a different way of life. You've taught us to live at peace with one another. Now, what does that have to do with community health. If they're worried about the next arrow that's going to hit them in the back, you're not even going to get them to talk about latrines. And and that's why these siloed approaches, these vertical programs, where we um, go in and do a needs assessment as an outsider, come back raise funds, blueprint a plan, and deliver a service, often fail uh, to sustain themselves or um, to truly lift people out of cycles of poverty and disease. Problems are integrated. Uh, I was telling a group earlier about uh, a team in China that wanted to do microenterprise development. They did some um, survey work in the target area before they went in and found that 60% of the income of the abject poor was used to buy medicines for diseases that are preventable. So the conclusion they came to was, if we go and give them a loan for a business and their child gets sick, they're going to spend the money we gave them for business on their child and they're going to be in a worse situation than they were when we started. So unless you're dealing with the health issues and the microenterprise at the same time, you're not going to achieve anything that's lasting and sustainable. And so that's the reason that we need holistic or integrated approaches. I could talk some more about that, but I'm not going to be able to. Uh, This is Julie. And Julie, she's not the one holding the baby. She's the one holding the bag there. Julie is a trainer in Papua New Guinea. The woman standing next to her uh, is a woman who is part of a woman's association that Julie had started in this area. The association was brought together because of domestic abuse. And so her, her primary goal was to teach these women their rights and to help them make plans about what to do if they are abused, to give them livelihood and leverage so they're not trapped in abusive situations and this kind of thing. So she, um, this woman who's holding the baby came to Julie one day and said, I have to adopt this baby. But before I do, I want you to promise me something, Julie. I want you to promise me that you will pay the school fees. You know what Julie did? 
She took a fistful of peanuts and she handed them to her and she said, there's your school fees. She said, you go plant those peanuts and then harvest them, plant the harvest, harvest again. And by the time your child is old enough to go to school, you'll have enough money to pay the school fees. You know what's in the bag there? The first harvest from the fistful of peanuts. I'll take you to India, and I don't have time to talk about Calcutta and what happened, what I saw there, but I went to visit a a team. uh, This is Pastor David Rye, who works in Darjeeling, in the mountains of Darjeeling. These are the uh, foothills of the Himalayas, very tall mountains, uh, valleys, and for a long time there were Maoist rebels who were terrorizing this area. And the village that we're going to talk about now was burned to the ground twice by Maoist rebels. And when David arrived on the scene, the men were sleeping together in one area, the, men, the, the women in another, because they didn't have enough clothes to keep warm at night. David, if there was ever a time for relief, this was probably it. But David didn't have anything but himself. And so he went and he sat with them. He opened the scriptures. He prayed with them. He gave them hope and encouragement. He began to talk with them about their, their situation and what solutions, what resources they had and what solutions they might come up with. And they came up with um, together a uh, system for growing squash on bamboo trellises as a cash crop. And... Um, when I visited this uh, valley, it was like there were spider webs everywhere. But you can see that the community had completely recovered. They were now living in houses made with more permanent materials. 1,200 people had been baptized, and there were two uh, new churches and five, well, actually, I think there were seven, seven new churches. But in, in this particular community, Every family had come to Christ except one. And when I was there, David said to me, there's only one family that has not been baptized into the church. Will you pray uh, for them? So I went home, and three months later, later I got a, a, a letter from him saying, the last family has come to Christ. And they changed the name of their village to Bethany. What do you know about Bethany? What happened in Bethany? That's where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You see the picture? So uh, these are examples of the kinds of things that we see with Che. Dr. Sam Voris uh, with World Vision did an evaluation of a program in the Congo He said after his evaluation, in over 20 years of two-thirds world ministry, having evaluated dozens of holistic programs in numerous countries, I have not seen anywhere such dramatic impact for such little costs. The CHE program effectively bridges the various interventions of meeting basic needs with a holistic gospel presentation, resulting in the transformation of the believer evidenced by behavioral change. I wouldn't have believed this if I hadn't um, seen it myself. But we hired an external evaluator 
a professional to do some uh, evaluation of a couple of programs in the Philippines. One was in the province of Antique, and the other was in the province of Surigao. And their methodology was they, they hired nurses from a nursing school, a university in the city, and they sent them out into our communities at random to interview families. So we had no control over who they visited. It was completely random. And this is what came back. 88% uh, of the people in Antique told the interviewers that they had prayed to receive Christ during a Che worker's visit. Now, I want to say something here. The Philippines is a Catholic country, and praying is something very natural to them. And I'm not standing here to tell you that 80% of these people had made a genuine decision for Christ. But I can tell you that there were people in their home talking to them about their commitment to the Lord. In Surigao, it was 67%. 58% of the interviewees in Antique said that they went to church more frequently because of their participation in the CHE program. In Surigao, it was 67%. 95% of the people in Antique said they were having Bible study with their Che worker. And in Surigao, it was 65%. 90% said they pray before meals. Uh, in Antique and Surigao, it was 67%. We have family devotions at home. In Antique, it was 96%. We support the church we attend with our finances. So those are two external evaluations that we've done. We usually, because our programs are done in villages of five to 1,500 people, and we might be working with three or four villages at a time, the sample size is not usually large enough to be significant. And we haven't had a lot of money through the years to spend on evaluation, but the external evaluations that we've done have shown that what we thought was happening was truly happening. Uh, infant mortality is cut in half in each of these instances, and that's kind of the gold star for community health programs. What are the outcomes that we're looking for in a CHE program? These are the things that we consistently see. And this is going to be a different matrix for you. Uh, because when we think about community health, we're often thinking about how, how many children have been immunized and, um, you know, how many families are using clean water and that kind of thing. Uh, but, but I think that, that that comes, but that the real process of transformation is human development. And the technological advance follows the human development. And so these are the outcomes that we see. We see shared vision. The community sees a better future and has hope that it can be achieved. Leadership. Godly Christian leaders are positioned and equipped to lead the community toward the accomplishment of its vision. Ownership. People are taking responsibility for their own health and well-being. Cooperation. People are united and working together for the common good. 
volunteers, significant numbers of people are taking initiative and acting sacrificially to meet the legitimate needs of others in their communities. Ooh, and I went to the end. That's not what I wanted to do. See, I told you that um, these things don't like me. Now I don't know where to go. Okay. Dignity. People have recovered their identity as made in the image of God and their vocation as stewards of creation. Instead of being controlled or victimized by their environment, they become stewards of it. Learning skill and resources. People are equipped to identify needs and resources, put together a plan, mobilize volunteers to accomplish their vision. People are continually reflecting on what's happening in order to learn how to be more effective. And Christian community and witness. Believers are meeting together for fellowship, prayer, Bible study, and worship, and are sharing Christ with their neighbors in word and deed. And once those outcomes are achieved, then we begin to see the impact of Che work. Um, churches are established and strengthened. Health improves, infant mortality decreases, agriculture becomes more productive, jobs are created, water systems, road schools, and clinics are built, peace, justice, compassion, and righteousness are witnessed in the community, and God is glorified. All of this is achieved at the initiative of the people, so it's impossible to predict on the front end what the improvements and results are going to be on the back end. Try to raise funds for something like this, right? Because if you want, what I have to tell donors, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to train some people from their country to go and sit and listen to the community. And then they're going to do participatory activities, and the community is going to analyze their needs, identify some resources, prioritize what's important to them, and put together a plan. So what's going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> Depends on what the community itself wants to do and what they, they think is important. It's much easier to go to somebody and say, you give me $100, I'm going to put a well in that village in Ghana. But what we've found is that old professionalism where we train people in the university, send them in to do a needs assessment, bring them back out, raise the funds, blueprint a plan, and then deliver a service, drive our programs through their communities, leaves white elephants everywhere. How many of you who are working overseas have seen the well that was put in that's broken and not being used? They're everywhere. Um, because if the benefits of community health are going to be sustainable, it's going to be at the initiative of the people themselves. Because they own it, because they have the ability to manage it, because they believe it's important, and because um, they are willing to volunteer their time to make it happen. 
So fundraising becomes a difficult problem for us maybe. Uh, But what we are actually achieving in the end is much more durable and sustainable and long-lasting. And in the end, we're truly lifting communities out of cycles of poverty and disease. I'm going to stop here. You can read some of the steps to implementing a CHA program and other things on the handout that's been given to you. But maybe you have a few questions you'd like to ask. Yes? On that picture that you showed us of the community that uh, started growing the squash on the bamboo trellises. Yes. They had to have a market for that. So yes. was that intervention, you know, did, did the CHA people... I, I don't know specifically what David Rye did. Um, but I know that what we teach is um, participatory agricultural development. And in our microenterprise and our business training, we're teaching them to identify markets, um, to uh, evaluate their competition, to find a niche, uh, to add value to what they're doing. Uh, when you do microenterprise, if you're not adding value, you may just be shuffling the wealth from one family to another because everybody starts selling squash and they're competing with each other and there's no place to go with it, right? And so, um, yeah, part, part of what we do in our training is helping them identify markets. Yes? In communities where the church or believers are very small, uh-huh. where, uh, how, does, how does this kind of a program, I mean, especially in a community where the best way to answer that is we have all kinds of tools that we give you. Um, things like participatory learning and action, um, which are uh, used to be participatory rapid appraisals, but uh, focus groups, there are ways that you get uh, people together to analyze problems. And the best way for you to learn about that is to go to one of our training events. And if you go to our website, chainetwork.org, there's a training tab and there's training schedules. Right now there's not much on there because we're on the, the back end of a training season. We're coming into Christmas. But if, if you go there in January, you'll see there will be, uh, we call them TOT, Training of Trainers. Um, in different places. I'm going to do one in Phoenix in January. Uh, Christian Missionary Fellowship International does them in Indianapolis. Uh, and Canby Equip does them in uh, Carolina. Um, so the, uh, Assemblies of God does them in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, Bridges of Hope does them in Southern California. So th- they happen in different places across the country, but that's what I would recommend. Yes. Uh-huh. Has CHA been used in Muslim communities and how has yes. that been received? Um, I, y- yes. I can't go into detail because I'm being videotaped. Talk to me later. Okay. But, yes, we do uh, have CHA programs um, all over Central Asia, a few places in the Middle East, North Africa, um, Indonesia, Malaysia, Southern Philippines. Yes. Okay? 
I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm I'm part deaf. <laughs> Yeah, and, and urban environments create uh, unique challenges. Usually in, in urban environments, they're near to services that can be offered. Um, and um, short answer, um, come by the booth and we'll talk about what's happening in the Mathari slum in uh, Kenya. Okay. Yes. No. In fact, um, what we find is that the most effective programs evangelistically are the programs where the Chase are not believers at the beginning. Uh, we find that in open countries, about 80% of them come to Christ in the course of their training. And those that don't come to Christ either become sympathizers or they drop out of the program. So there's kind of a natural attrition. But your trainers um, spend 30 to 40 weeks with these health workers every week doing a spiritual and physical topic, inviting them to apply it in their own lives and share it with their neighbors. So is it a bad thing that unbelievers are talking about a, Chris, a, a commitment to Christ with each other? before they themselves have made that commitment? I think not. In fact, I think it often works to our advantage because in many of these villages, they don't make decisions as individuals. They make decisions as groups after discussion. Yeah. Yes? Yes, and if you had come to my seminar earlier, were you there earlier? No, I missed that. Okay, I, I did a seminar on mobilizing volunteers and leveraging community health impacts. And people volunteer for lots of reasons, um, for career advancement, for skill development, um, because of social uh, reasons. They want to make friends. They want to meet expectations in the community uh, for enhancement. It get, uh, you know, if I do this, it, it enhances my reputation, it gives me self-esteem, it gives me self-confidence, it gives me respect in the community, So there, uh, and values. And I think that our chase around the world, I hope that the reason that they're volunteering is because of their relationship with the Lord. Jesus started a volunteer movement. He said... Love your neighbor as yourself. And he didn't say, if you love your neighbor, I'll pay you for it. That would have limited his ability to make a movement that changed the world. Any other questions? Yes. Yes, we have. Um, and my good friend Stan Rowland, who did the first CHE programs, invented the whole concept, did the first CHE programs in Uganda, um, and then started this whole movement. Um, he he kind of retired about six years ago um, and moved over to figure out, okay, we've had success internationally. 
how do we apply this in North America? And so he's got what he calls neighborhood transformation uh, ministries going in about 16 cities in America. It looks very different than what I've shown you on the screen here, but the principles underneath it are the same. And he has a booth upstairs, uh, neighborhood transformation. Neighborhood transformation. His name is Stan Roland. Yes. Any other questions? I think I've gone over time. Thank you very much. God bless you.